everybody. Welcome back to the big show. This is As Lutheran As It Gets, episode 56. As always, we are your host, Pastor Christopher Gillespie. Let's do some singing. And I am Pastor Donovan Riley. You will be singing alone. (laughs) Yes, of course. There we go. Uh, By popular demand, we are going to dive into another hymn today. We've gotten a lot of positive feedback, so thank you to everyone who emailed, Mm -hmm. texted, and called and said you are enjoying these podcasts on Lutheran hymns. And I actually talked with our, what, our executive in charge of media, Pastor Aaron Fanker, and Mm -hmm. we're discussing doing a spinoff podcast from these episodes. I mean, it's being shared, I've seen it shared outside of even Lutheran circles, which Good. Uh, is interesting because, you know, it's mm-hmm. as Lutheran as it gets. It's pretty like Lutheran, Lutheran. <laughs> no, I like that. I'm glad that other people are benefiting. Yeah. But we talked about doing a season of episodes, four to six episodes, Ooh, and then we would do a revolving chair of organists or church musicians, as well as a pastor and theologian in residence. And, ah, yeah. Uh, It'd be nice to have some people who have some... Uh, knowledge and skill on the show. Actual knowledge and actual skill. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Although we're enjoying it, right? We, Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're um, what do you want to say? We're aficionados, I guess. I mean, oh. it's really practical for us, right? Because we have to choose hymns and sing them each That is week. correct. Every week, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. And that maybe that's a good place to jump into Martin Franzman's hymn, Preach You the Word, 586 in the Lutheran Service Book, for those of you uh, playing along at home, is that... When I first arrived at my congregation 10 plus years ago, the organist picked the hymns and it was, it was based on what hymns the congregation liked. And therefore they were older hymns from the LBW, Mm -hmm. the Blue Lutheran Worship book that came out in the early 80s, right? Early 80s was that? Yeah, 84, 85, 85, something like that. Yeah. Uh, LBW being 78, which was the non-starter for the Missouri Synod. (laughs) And yet, when I came into the church in the mid-90s, and then when I came back from the missionary field in the late 90s and went to seminary, all the LCMS congregations that we attended up until the 61st congregation we attended used the Green Elbow. Yeah, and I think that was very prominent uh, in the far north, you know, uh, Midwest north. Uh, but okay. also coasts, especially. Sure. Um, and I and that may be because uh, it was ecumenical in its in its approach. Let's right. try to get uh, what became the LCA and the Missouri mm-hmm. Synod on the same page. Right. Uh, him as far as you know what we're singing, and also strongly influenced though by uh, Vatican II and the liturgical renewal movement and yes. some of the more liberal uh, side of of uh, the church. Yeah, and that's the hymnal. My wife, she grew up in Portland, Oregon, in a suburb mm. of Portland, Aloha. And Aloha, if you're from the Big Island, but on the West Coast, Aloha. And <laughs> that's really all she remembers, too, is the green and the uh, blue hymnals. Oh, wow. And okay. so when we were searching for a uh, congregation to join while we were at, while I was at seminary, that was our struggle. As I said, we actually went to over, well, 60 congregations by the end of the day. And every congregation was using the green hymnal. LCMS yeah. and ELCA, and therefore it was frustrating for us at a certain point that there was very little differentiation between ELCA and LCMS congregations as far and, as their... And, and how they were worshiping, what they absolutely. were singing. Well, yeah. not only what they were worshiping and singing, but therefore what they were preaching and teaching. Mm, yeah, I would actually say, yeah. based on my experience the last 20 plus years, that the only primary difference between those churches was their social teachings. Hmm. That, at that time and and even now today i can say it i'll be blunt right and and there it does seem to be the general movement of things that if you want to get two contrary christian confessions on the same page you just get them singing the same thing correct right, right. and we as we've discussed in these podcasts what you sing becomes your confession of faith it becomes <laughs> your doctrinal confession and I think, uh, well, I've been interacting and preparing for a funeral, and it's interesting to listen to what are the preferences as far as hymns from you know two, three generations ago, uh, or young, older than me, I should say. Right. Um, you know what they were singing, what they were taught, being taught to sing, where the priorities uh, mm-hmm. lie, 
because it, it, it's very different than the way I was trained at seminary, but also maybe my own preferences, but but even what I think maybe is even appropriate. Um, True. You know, camp, campfire songs really aren't hymns. Mm -hmm. Summer right? camp, yep. Lutheran <laughs> camp songs, uh, late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. But they yep. became hymns. That was the influence yeah. of, well, the countercultural movement on the church in the 60s, even into the early mm. 70s, uh, talking with pastors from that generation who in college and seminary and post-seminary, they show up for their first call with sideburns and an acoustic guitar and a pair of Birkenstocks. There, there were many. <laughs> yeah, and while you could sing, you could sing a classic hymn that way. Right. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> the aesthetic doesn't fit with the genre. Right. right. But it also goes to the point in our church body, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, at that time in the late '60s into the '70s, there was a push for ecumenical dialogue. Roman Catholic mm. Lutheran dialogues, uh, um, Episcopal Anglican Lutheran dialogues, Methodist Presbyterian Lutheran dialogues. And yet there was then the counter push, which essentially led up to or fueled what became Seminex. And this division within our own church body between one side that was labeled liberal and revisionist and the other side that was labeled conservative or orthodox or confessional. Mm. Mm -hmm. And then how the chips fell in the you know in the in the wake of the merger of ALC and LCA which became the ELCA mm -hmm. all the fallout from that and so to bring it back around then when I got here this was something that I also had to learn because as you pointed out at seminary we usually were just taught the lectionary <laughs> and then we chose the hymns based on the lectionary and then when I got to my congregation I began to study the historic lectionary the historic one year lectionary Mm -hmm. going back about 500 years or more. And then looking also then at the hymns, the history of Lutheran hymnody, especially in the 20th century, then that made me aware of the importance of picking the hymns for each Sunday. And our friend Stan Lemon has done a great service for those of you who are interested. You can go to sanctus.org, sanctus.org. Mm -hmm. And Stan has laid out every day on the church calendar, every day mm -hmm. of the year actually, and for each Sunday, at least, there's not only the readings and the collects, but also matins and vespers, I believe. And yep, yep. then you can go to Rick, Pastor uh, Rick Richard Stuckwish's uh, blog spot, Sword in Hat, and he also then has the hymns for the Sundays. Mm -hmm. And I find both those websites eminently helpful. Uh, it's interesting you were telling me uh, or telling us about your history because it, it does really correspond pretty well uh, to Franzman. You know, Franzman, uh, maybe in the inverse, right? Because mm -hmm. Franzman started from a very conservative place, son of, right. a, of a German immigrant Lutheran pastor, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, went to Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary after graduating from Northwestern. And, um, uh, and so it's really part of the, you know, the conservative tradition. Uh, right. Got called to Concordia uh, Seminary in 46 to teach Greek and uh was that it oh and then became chairman of exegetical theology at right. concordia Published seminary but ends up romans being, commentary yeah he wrote many commentaries uh, theological yeah. works uh discipleship according to matthew is another one mm, uh, that's right 61 the the romans commentary is 68 mm -hmm. uh, he contributed to the concordia study bible in 71 he has the word of the Lord grows and the revelation. Oh, he has a John um, revelation commentary, right? From 86, I think. And then a preaching book from 94. Right. Does, he has a very famous essay on hermeneutics, correct? I think you, it's actually available online. There's an essay on hermeneutics he wrote. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is that he kind of was a catalyst at Concordia Seminary for um, what became Seminex, the, the walkout. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, he was he he was steeped in the theological traditions that were going on, or theological questioning, I guess you'd say, sure. that was going on in the 50s and 60s. Well, let's back it up just a second then, since you brought it up, and I'm yeah. going to do a quick and dirty history of this, so forgive me if I'm not going to go deep into the granular details, but in Bodbol in 1948, that mm, was yeah. when the German church merged, and it was essentially the Lutherans, the Presbyterians, and the free churches, or I'm sorry, the Methodist church and non-denominational. And then there was what was called the Lutheran Free Churches, which Herman Sase was a part of before he left for Australia. And those were the churches that did not go along with this merger, which basically formed what was called the EKID, Evangelica Kirche in Deutschland. And 
it was a merger of these church bodies into essentially what became in the present tense then a church. (laughs) And so from then Bodbull, what ends up happening is Americans are going over to Europe after the war, flooding into Europe to go to seminary, to go to university. And the German churches, they needed money to rebuild their church. And they did a lot of work praising the Americans and buttering up the the Americans, courting the Americans, praising them, praising us for our theology and our support. And then in private, insulting us and mocking us for our (laughs) theological shallowness and Mm. childishness. And as a consequence though, there was into the 50s, a very, very significant influence of reformed theology in Lutheran seminaries and universities. And a lot of students that came back then brought back this reformed, this kind of hybridized Lutheran reformed theology, which over the years then got back into the seminaries, was taught to the students who then were ordained and went into the congregations and taught it. And then second generation professors came in who were taught by these guys that went over to Europe after the war and learned their trade from them. Especially Mm -hmm. in exegesis, you see this in the late 50s and early 60s now, this conflict starting to bubble to the surface. And without naming names, because I don't think it's relevant anymore to do that, um, it basically led to the walkout 40 years later, 50 years later. Uh, When was the walkout? That was early 70s, right? 1974 was the walkout, 74 to 87. You know, he wasn't a historic, a critical person, if you want to use that that terminology, as far as his approach to the Bible. Um, But um, he got lumped in with that. Right. And then he he had to retract some of his earlier articles that he wrote for... Uh, Concordia Journal, for example, mm-hmm. the the seminary um, right. theological journal, yes, uh, would have been one of the five professors who stayed, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had already left and gone to Westfield House to yes. be a theologian or in a tutor, Great right? Britain, yes, yeah, in '69, right? Yeah, a theologian, right, and yeah. really interested in what the Bible says, but also a poet, Very which, much I, so, which right. is what we're going to get at today, right. Right. And this is a great point that we bring up and something to consider in the case of a personality like Franzman is he is divisive, as you noted. And Mm -hmm. if you want to go do more research into him, just ask around. You will find plenty of of people in their 60s or, yeah, 60s and even into their 70s who in one way or the other are still fighting the battle of Seminex Mm -hmm. and fighting the battle of the walkout. We know them. And they will definitely give you their opinion. You can look online for different opinions. But can you judge a theologian based on a work and say, this is good, but the rest of this, maybe not so much? Mm-hmm. As Like in the case of Philip Melanchthon, mm-hmm. is that yeah. at a certain point, we say Philip leaned hard away from the Reformation Lutheran doctrine. And yeah, yet he was accommodating, fi- right? Right. That, that's a good way to say it. He was very accommodating. But at the same time, in 1541, he published this Romans commentary This that is second to none. Yeah. In the midst of being vilified and, and his students fighting a battle against, you know, the so-called Gnasio Lutherans, the students of Luther, he still published the Romans commentary in 1541, which is a fantastic document. It's very well done. It's like excluding Luther for his... Um, writings against the Jews. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. And mm-hmm. so can we judge a piece of work on its merit or do we have to bring in the person, the author, the theologian who penned it and judge it according to that theologian in total? And if we are going to do that, does that then mean we must dismiss St. Augustine, for example? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who shifted doctrinal stances numerous times throughout his life. Or as you pointed out, Dr. Luther and some of his more unforgivable writings against the Jews and Hans Vorst and others, mm-hmm. yeah. and so on and so forth down through history. Right. And I think uh, if if we took the time uh, to go through uh, the hymnal and look mm-hmm. at the authors, right. we'd probably find a lot of characters that if we judge them on the whole, right. you know, or if we judge them based upon their, their worst acts, right. um, they would be excluded from the hymnal. Well, right? the opposite page of Preach You the Word is the Philip Melanchthon hymn that we covered, Mm-hmm. That yeah. was uh, an alternate, was it alternate version or altered by Nicholas Selnicker? Altered. Uh, he added to it. Added to it. Thank you. And then on the on the opposite page is Timothy Dudley Smith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? If, if we're right. going to talk theology, Timothy Dudley Smith is highly suspect at mm-hmm. best. 
Yeah, but but not based on his personal life, right? But rather upon what he actually said. Exactly right? what he wrote. So let's jump into "Preach You the Word" by Martin Franzman. As I said, this is number five hundred and eighty-six in the Lutheran Service Book. Stanza one: Preach you the word and plant it home to men who like or like it not. The word that shall endure and stand when flowers and men shall be forgot. I wanted to do this hymn or one of his hymns because it's native English poetry. Correct. And and I think we talked about it, or maybe if we didn't, I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. how there, there's, there's something even more evocative than trying to take somebody else's idea in one language, translate it, and you just can't carry exactly the same idea forward. No, you can't translate. You can't translate poetry or jokes. <laughs> That's right. Or other kind of euphemistic, you know, expressions right. or colloquialisms. When, uh, my wife and I will watch uh, stand-up comedy that is in Spanish, whether it be mm. Mexican, for example. But And so I'll understand and I'll laugh at jokes made by Mexican comics because I understand Spanish and I understand Mexican culture. I live there. However, when a Brazilian comic or uh, a Guatemalan comic, whatever it may be, a Spanish comic even, they stand up, they speak Spanish, but I don't understand their idioms and colloquialisms the same. They're different. Mm, And therefore, poetry like humor is its own language. It comes with its own symbolism, its own uh, metaphor and analogies. And if you're not hip to that, it's like we were watching a stand up from the mid 80s last night. And Mm -hmm. Having grown up in the in being a child in the eighties, I understood all of the references. However, my kids would not understand a single reference that this comedian was making, and therefore most of his comedy would be lost on them. Yeah, so it's contextual, right? Very, very much so. Yeah. And poetry is very similar to that when you try and translate it. So Franzman being an English speaking poet, right, uh, is is really evocative. I, th- I th- that's the word that comes to mind, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that to men who like it or like it not, right? Mm-hmm. Who and, and especially when flowers and men shall be forgot. I mean, it, it, right. it evokes, actually invokes kind of classic English poetry, maybe even like uh, Shakespeare or something like that. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, Wordsworth, and, yeah. And, and I think people will know Franzman even more from Thy Strong Word. Yes. Which right. I think was composed for an anniversary of Concordia Seminary, if I remember correctly. My kids refer to that as the Imperial March of Lutheran yeah. Hymns. <laughs> yeah, it's powerful. Uh, it's also popular, though. More popular Very than popular. Right. right. If you want to hear all the kids in my congregation sing as loud as possible, that's the hymn. Where the text and the tune just seem to be a perfect match. Right. 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 Where it's a powerful tune, but it mm. also, the words really carry the tune. They do. Mm-hmm. It's also a powerful funeral hymn because of the tune itself. Yeah, to kind of tell the devil to bug off if you want to exactly, be a little less. Exactly, uh, <laughs> it's a very, very aggressive tune for Lutherans to sing. <laughs> uh, in Adam, we have all been one. O God, O Lord of heaven and earth. These are other hymns that he's done that yeah. have the same kind of character. Our Paschal yeah. Lamb who set us, who, that sets us free. Mm-hmm. You know, all very um, evocative um, poetry. And, right. and the tunes go well with them too. They're, they tend to be contemporary tunes that mm-hmm. were composed for the text. Right. Here we go. Yeah, this tune was originally from the Rhein Fleischich Deutsches Katholisches Gesangbuch, 1666, Augsburg, Germany. Paul Bungess, who is responsible for the bulk of the musical material mm-hmm. uh, from CPH about 50s to 60s. Yeah, right. Kind of the renewal of liturgical music in the Missouri Synod. Uh, he was mm-hmm. a core contributor to that. Yeah, bringing for, even people like Bach back into our <laughs> into our yeah. memory. For those of you listening that aren't familiar, Methodist hymnody pretty much swept the nation in the late 1800s, up mm-hmm. until the close of the frontier in, let's say, 1898, that area. Methodism, Methodist circuit riders, Methodist missionaries were everywhere, and congregational polity and singing and revivalism was not just popular amongst Methodist and Baptist, it was popular amongst all denominations, all church bodies. We were slightly immune as long as we spoke English, or excuse me, German, German exclusively. Right. But as soon as English became mm-hmm. prominent, then then we we fell under the right. sway of those well, circuit and writers. As is the case in every generation, it's the kids 
who reject their native language and mm -hmm. want to speak English. They reject the customs and the traditions their parents and grandparents brought with them. And therefore, they also want to innovate church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And say, we're not singing German hymns. We're not doing German liturgy anymore. We're not going to secede from the, from the United States and form our own German enclave <laughs> in Missouri. We want American stuff. Yeah. And, and thus you get the incorporation of Methodist hymns. Especially, again, where we were ill-equipped as a church body, particularly Missouri Synod, to uh, adapt to English. And so we just import whatever was right. kind of available to us. The best of it maybe came from the Church of England, but the worst, of sure. course, was uh, from those Methodists. Well, this is, this is my opinion, but Lutherans are at their worst when they move to, quote-unquote, rebaptize or Lutheranize explicitly non-Lutheran material. Hmm. When we try and baptize reformed, the reformed doctrine on, let's say, baptism, <laughs> it never, it always ends up with a reformed doctrine of baptism. When we bring in Methodist hymnody, we don't make it Lutheran, we just slowly become Methodists. And we talked about this in regards uh, to doctrine and, and the joint declaration on the doctrine of justification, right, where, where Lutherans and, and Rome said they got on the same page, but in reality, the Lutherans just accommodated themselves to, to Roman categories and, and right. What they did was they just refused to define grace and mm -hmm. justification and faith, and therefore everyone could agree. Right, which Rome is happy um, to say, as long as you don't reject what we teach, then that's fine. <laughs> Rome was comfortable with that until Ratzinger became Pope. Yeah, that's, oh, that's true. And then the doctrinal enforcer said, yeah, no, we're taking back the keys to the Vatican washroom. You just go find another place to play. So again, that, another aspect then for this hymn to be uh, so evocative is that mm -hmm. it, it's coming from a staunchly Lutheran right um, exegetical viewpoint so he's <clears throat> taking god's word and applying it in poetic form right up uh, from a our confession in fact this goes to the point benedict when he was uh, ex cathedra mm. noted famously the roman catholic church is not a buffet line <laughs> meaning you can't pick and choose whether roman catholic or otherwise you can't pick or choose which doctrines you like and then pretend the other ones don't matter and so maybe that's a point too, is that we as Lutherans are at our worst when we treat other church bodies and their doctrines as if it's a buffet line that we can pick and choose from without the, consequence. Yeah. Yeah. The best of, the best of each tradition. <laughs> sure. So back to the hymn, stanza two. We know how hard, O Lord, the task your servant bade us undertake to preach your word and never ask what prideful profit it may make. So a hymn specifically for pastors, right? Be a great hymn for an ordination or an installation. Mm -hmm. um, but also, uh, the other aspect of this is that it, it, we do want the congregation to sing about the preaching of the word and what's why it is important, how it should be done, um, because they are the what supporters and defenders uh, of the preaching of God's right. word. Right? They, they, it's their duty according to the table of duties to to support uh, the pastor and his vocation. And as Dr. Luther notes in the large catechism in his introduction to the Lord's Prayer, the church at prayer is a wall that holds back the wrath of God. And mm. that were the church to cease praying, and I would argue, because we talked about this in the hymn of prayer that we talked about last week, yeah. when the congregation stops singing, specifically Christ-focused hymns, hymns that are focused on the word of God, justification and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, likewise then that wall begins to disintegrate and collapse. And what pours through those gaps in the wall are the powers of sin and death and hell. Right. Which is why as much as it often perturbs me how conflict-driven our church body is and how we live to debate, and sometimes I think we've actually lost the original point of why the debate happened in the first place, there is a point where you have to say, we are not going to budge or adapt ourselves on something like the Lord's Supper. Or in this case, we are not going to move on our doctrine of the vocation of the ministry. Mm -hmm. Because at least for Lutherans, the doctrine of the ministry, our vocation as pastors is very simple. You have one job, <laughs> preach the word, administer the sacraments, which is the delivery of the word in concrete reality. Mm -hmm. But we're forgiveness dispensers. That's our job. 
And the congregation, as you noted then, is there to encourage, but also to exhort us to do our job. Yeah. Pastor, preach to me, you know? Right. And actually to ask him, you know, Pastor, I need to hear God's word, you know, tell it to me. And I've talked with retired folks and, and older pastors who um, insist that the only thing that prevented the Missouri Senate from folding or splitting altogether were the congregations who had the catechism. Mm. Mm-hmm. They had the word of God and they had the catechism and they had their hymnals. And it was the congregations who said, we're not going to split. We're not going to go one way or the other. We're going to stand We're not going to take it. Yeah, we're not going to take it. And so there is that part of it too, that what these hymns do, as we noted in the beginning, they teach the faith. They allow mm-hmm. you to confess the faith in song. But then when your pastor is unfaithful or your church body is unfaithful, or there is a conflict between pastor and congregation, pastor and pastor, pastor and district or synod, or whatever the conflict, whatever shape it takes, the congregation can point to, let's say, this Franzman hymn and say, but wait, there's this. Yeah. I, the other aspect I like about this is he's reflecting upon what was our gospel text uh, yesterday before we uh, before we recorded. Come to me, which, right, <laughs> you who are uh, weary. Well, the parable of the sower, right? And uh, the... Uh, are you in but, the three-year? No, I'm on the one-year. You you did, uh, did you do the saint instead? I said, yeah, I did Saint Matthias. You did Matthias, right? If you had if you had been on um, uh, Sexagasma, then you would. If you had been had the Orthodox, you would. Well, <laughs> you're free. You're free. You can do either one. Uh, the point being that here it's a reflection on that text, but it, but it's in our own voice and almost in the way of a lament, right? Yes, Lord, you've told us to pr- to preach your word, but it's hard, and we want to use it for our own aims and objectives, right? Right. For what prideful profit prideful it may make? Pulpiteering, right? we sometimes call it. And, but but to say, Lord, it's hard, right? And to actually right. to say that to him in, in a prayerful way in the hymn mm-hmm. um, is is its own kind of encouragement, right? Because right. You're, you're, you're giving it to the Lord and then you're waiting for him to respond again from his word. Right. That, we were meditating on this in our Joshua Bible study the other night that, and something I noted is when the Lord speaks to Joshua and then Joshua goes to the, the warriors, the priests, and the people, he repeats verbatim what the Lord says to him first. He says Mm -hmm. to the people what the Lord said to him. And yet you'll notice then whenever there is unrepentance in Israel amongst the leaders and then the people, whatever the Lord says, it's spun out. (laughs) Going all the way back to Eve, right? Don't, you know, God said, don't even look at the tree. Well, actually he didn't say, don't look at it. He said, don't eat the fruit. The day that you touch of it. Right. And so you'll notice then that unfaithfulness, and this is the challenge, this is the discipline of preaching week to week as a pastor is, to not deviate so far from the word of God that you become a pulpiteer, that you use the pulpit as your own personal hobby horse Hmm. for your own personal hobby horses, sorry, whether it be political, ideological, whatever it may be. And yet, this is then why we as Lutherans are semper penitentia, not semper reformanda. We are mm, always yeah. repenting, not always reforming. Always reforming is an, actually a Calvinist teaching, not a Lutheran mm. teaching. The Lutherans were always repenting, and this is the reason why. Because returning instead of running yes, away from. Right, away. exactly. Yeah. We don't need to change things. We need to. We need to actually return to our first love, the which here is the Word of God. Church, the apostolic yes, faith. Right. right. This is why creedal faith is so important to you and I, mm-hmm. because it keeps us rooted in place and doesn't allow us to run roughshod with the word of God, with doctrine, with the congregation, with our vocations. And this is what I explained to people too. When I first was called and installed here, I had an elbow and a toe and a couple pinkies and maybe my nose sticking out of the office of the ministry. And all of those spots where I tried to kind of stretch and push the boundaries of the office to suit my personality, mm-hmm. that's where I messed up the worst as a pastor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once I recognized that and repented of it before my whole congregation and said, hey, just so you know, it's been revealed to me, here's where these conflicts have erupted, it's all my fault. Because I thought I could keep a big toe out of the office or I could, you know, get this elbow or this pinky over here out in such a way that I could kind of get a hold of stuff that I personally want to make a part of the office of the Holy Ministry. But yet no. God goes, yeah, no, that's not, no, that's not part of this. And, and we're not, lo- the irony of this is not lost on us that uh, we often... Uh, look at our text here and then we go off on tangents <laughs> right but but i mean you are talking about prideful profit 
you know, mm-hmm. looking Absolutely. for some kind of personal gain from right. the preaching of the word. I mean, even if it's just take care of my family, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, or ego, right? To build mm-hmm. ego, or mm-hmm. perhaps even to build a little empire of sorts, you know, yeah. with the congregation. Your little, your little fiefdom. Your little fiefdom, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but rather to be faithful to the word and, and, and only to preach the word. Right. Uh, that is a hard task as it, it really is and as willem leah said the three legs that the word of god stands upon are the bible the catechism and the hymnal mm-hmm. and thanks to dr john pless and uh reverend dr king corby god rest his soul and mm-hmm. Le- leah they were really three catalysts for me to say you know i need to trim the amount of uh weight i'm carrying around with me as a pastor and i need to dial down and just pick up the word of god pick up the catechism and pick up the hymnal and invest myself in it as their pastor and then work this into the curriculum that wasn't right. there for my congregation when I got here. Well, and it's one of those astounding things you see in the preface to the large catechism, right? Where Luther yes. says, I prayed the catechism, or preface to the small catechism, mm-hmm. excuse me. Uh, I pray this catechism daily. And you're like, wait a right. minute, you wrote it. Why Why would you need to pray it? Because right. the words that, that I think he would say the spirit, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, inspired for him, uh, he even he didn't understand absolutely, it. Mm. and he doesn't call it prideful prophet. He calls it Lord Pigbelly. <laughs> Lord Pigbelly, but, pig belly. but I love it's it. the it's the same thing though. Is he's he says these these pastors, these priests, Lord Pigbelly, that they teach and they preach in such a way that their stomach is always full. Right. And we talked about this in like giving thanks for some aspect of the ministry. Mm-hmm. And somebody says to you, you know, Pastor, thank you that. You could say, "Well, you're welcome," or I, I, you know, I put a lot of work into it, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or you could just say, oh, "To God be the glory." Right, hundred percent. Right. It's for you, not, not I. But you know, I must decrease; He must increase. Right. That sort of idea. And after ten years of ministry and multiple beatings per week, <laughs> physically and mentally and emotionally, um, I, I appreciate that compliments are just, if not more, destructive than insults and criticisms. Right, because in the end, like he said in the first stanza, uh, flowers and men shall be forgot. <laughs> the only thing that endures is the exactly. word. Yeah. Long after the compliments and the criticisms fade, there's only God's word. There's only mm-hmm. Christ. So back to the hymn, stanza three. The sower sows. His reckless love scatters abroad the goodly seed, intent alone that all may have the wholesome loaves that all men need. I love it reckless love i love that yeah uh, he's been criticized for that word that offends <laughs> yeah. yes and uh, the sower sows scatters but i also love that that he already gets to the point right is that the yes. seed is sown of god's word to bear mm-hmm. to bear fruit but here he says to bear loaves really right yes which right. drives you to i mean uh, what rather who is the bread from heaven correct right? that all men need right you know who, and what is the intent of sowing that seed it is Mm. to produce loaves and if you understand the parable correctly that the sower is the father and the seed is the son because Mm -hmm. the seed is the word of god and then you go to the lord's table this my friends makes an excellent distribution hymn yeah which was where we sang it because we're orthodox (laughs) (laughs) ding ding check mark that box off that's right no uh and, and and his intent alone is that all would have yes these loaves now that right. that's also part of the scandal of the parable but also the scandal of the hymn right and that the scandal would, of that one little word reckless yes that he would do this for every that he would scatter his seed upon all right uh, and that you know for god so loved the world you know mm-hmm. we talk about that uh, you know for god so loved the elect would be the confession of <laughs> some yes and that's not what he's getting at. You no. know, he died for died for all, even while they were yet sinners, right? right. As the scriptures say. And that's the thing about this hymn that captures really the essence, I think, of of the Word of God in the flesh is he explodes boundaries <laughs> and categories. categories. Exactly, yeah. he just blows them up. He doesn't care. This is the constant offense of Jesus. <laughs> he claims to be equal to God. Well, it's interesting because uh, like Cain and Abel, you know, the first mm-hmm. first children there, uh, they're the ones who set up the categories of what is faithful and what is not. Correct. Right? Um, running with, maybe running with what David had 
uh, not David, excuse me, what Adam had instructed them. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe they were just setting up this idea. I mean, Cain is is jealous of Abel, not because God has like said mm-hmm. anything to him at that point, but simply because uh, he's distinguishing himself by comparing himself to his neighbor rather than well when you when your mother names you the lord has given me a son the savior well I know that's, that's all that's, that's a, a lot to live up to that's a little baggage <laughs> a little baggage and so within the context of what we're given in in genesis it mm-hmm. makes total sense that cain would react so violently toward god showing uh, abel favor when it's mm-hmm. obvious i'm the chosen one hmm you want to see how this mm-hmm. plays out, practically speaking, go read about Joseph too. <laughs> yeah, you see it there too. That's right. Dad said. Right, but these categories and whatnot, I mean, uh, one, yes, Jesus died for the sins of the world, and two, um, you know, Jesus made everyone as well. Correct. Remember, he's the word that, that created you. Mm-hmm. There, there, at the beginning, there was no distinction. Right. At the cross, there's no distinction. In right. the church, there ought to not be any distinction, mm-hmm. at least rightfully speaking, right? Right. And yet... Who makes these distinctions about who who should receive the word, who sh- who deserves it, um, who's likely to convert, whatever it is, right? Yes, we are the ones who set those those distinctions. Those see, on, on Fridays in confirmation, we we begin by praying either responsive prayer one, two, or the litany, and mm-hmm. it reminded me of that that you pointed that out because in responsive prayer one on page two hundred eighty three of the Lutheran Service Book, afternoon evening responsive prayers, it comes down to. Um, where is that? Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. That is, you judge all people the same, mm-hmm. and you guide the people upon the earth, all people. Unto himself, right? Unto himself, exactly. When I am lifted up, I I will draw all people to myself. And that story isn't unique to the New Testament. I pointed out in Bible class on Sunday. Mm-hmm. It, it's through... Uh, the scriptures from the beginning, Correct. right? You know th- that we're driving uh, each other apart. <laughs> yes, we we break our relationships within family, within friends, um, communities, nations, mm-hmm. and 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 then God is the one who's gathering them back together around His Son Jesus. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So back to the hymn, stanza four: Though some be snatched, and some be scorched, and some be choked and matted flat, the sower sows; his heart cries out, "Oh." What of that, and what of that? It is a lament, right? It is. In this, yeah. this time, because it comes back yeah. again in the next stanza. But here right. it's like, I mean, it's sad, but the, but this is what, mm-hmm. this, is the, this is the way that faith actually comes, is, by, is right. by the word of God being sown, right? And it circles back around to stanza one, preach you the word and plant it home. This isn't just the word of gospel. Mm-mm. This is God's word of law and gospel. Mm -hmm. This is why you preach it to men who like it or like it not. The old Adam hates God's word of law (laughs) almost as much as he hates the gospel. Whereas the new man in Christ loves both because it's the word of God. And part of it here, again, we talk about the preaching task. I mean, our our job is not to manipulate or or to make it uh, work for our own benefit, but in the same way, we can't make it work for what we hope, right? Like right. We're we're going to preach this specific word in this specific context to this specific person or people, right? And it's going to have this effect, right? Mm, yeah. If yeah, you, good luck. If you don't <laughs> believe Doctor Luther and Walther, just preach for a while, and experience yeah. will teach you. You don't get to control who hears the law and who hears the gospel, or what effect it has on them. Well, and sometimes you've probably had this experience. You walk out of the pulpit and you're like, "We'll see what happens with that." Yeah, right. <laughs> like, yeah, or, or or other occasions, you're like, "Wow, that didn't really go well." And then people come to you and in repentance and in faith, mm-hmm. yeah. thanking you for preaching the gospel. Right. And you're like, "And I'm searching my memory, trying to remember when I said what I said." Uh, really? Right. Oh, you know, you even miss miss the you know. Right. God uses the word despite you. I think is the way you'd say that. Well, I remember, I've told the story before on, in other places, but I had prepared a sermon on Zephaniah hmm. chapter one, and it was where God says, I wish that you were hot or cold, hmm. but you are, well, in the English translation, he, it says lukewarm. In the Hebrew, it's a little bit more, what do you want to say, direct <laughs> and uh, connected to a bodily function. Yeah. And so the Lord says, I'm going to spit you out. And... 
my, at the time he was one of my elders and his wife had quit church and had not been to church in over seven years. And I look up and there she is sitting with him. They came in late, so I, they came in during the hymn. And here's this woman who quit church, who wouldn't speak to me when I would visit the house. She would go upstairs and do crosswords. And it took about three months before she would come downstairs and make coffee for the two of us. And then she would leave the coffee on the counter and walk out of the room and go back upstairs. And he finally convinced her to come to church. And this is the Sunday she chooses to show up, quote unquote, chooses. Hmm. And here I am preaching on Zephaniah. And the entire service up to the sermon, I was rewriting another sermon in my head and saying to myself, I can't preach the sermon on Zephaniah because this woman has not been to church in seven years. She hates the church. She does not trust pastors. And I'm going to preach a, just a heavy judgment sermon. Yeah. And then at the, uh, literally the last stanza of the, of the sermon hymn, I said, no, this is what the Lord gave me to preach. I have to trust that the Lord gave this to me for a reason, regardless, mm -hmm. and maybe it's for her. So I got up, let it rip. She came up to me after church. She said, that's the best sermon I've ever heard. And I'm so glad I came to church this morning and I'll see you next Sunday. And she was at church every Sunday at Bible study, my biggest supporter. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I stood there stunned when she shook my hand because I thought she was coming up to me to cuss me out. Yeah. And, and at the same time, then other people at church said that was a really heavy handed sermon. That was a little intense, Pastor. A little too judgy. Hmm. Yeah, yet, you can't you can't win in a way, <laughs> right? Which is yeah, you're right though. You can't win, so just mm -hmm. let it fly. Yeah, be faithful, right? Um, but say it, right? Be reckless. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, and you can you can lament that you're that you're preaching. I mean, there's a place for this to lament for your preaching being, I guess, by our, your own judgment, ineffective. Yes, or 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 not as not quality, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. <laughs> lacking, maybe lacking, oh, I don't know, put a poetic sense sure. or, you know, being particularly um, right. memorable. You can lament that. There, right. There's a place right. for that. You should lament it rather than, yeah. you know, just because it's not, it's actually not the main thing. Right. Exactly. 100%. You look at the kind of people that, um, uh, that Jesus chooses as his <laughs> disciples, yes. later apostles, to preach the word. And, and you could label his, yeah, that, that is reckless <laughs> there, right there. Who he calls, it, a little reckless. Isn't there something about them like being of slow of speech? Mm -hmm. uh, referring to Peter, maybe, or was it to Paul? I can't remember. It wouldn't be Paul, it would have been Peter. You know, yeah. they're just kind of clumsy um, and not well educated men. Right. Uh, and yet God uses those weak instruments to right. deliver his word. Shame the wisdom of the wise. Mm, isn't that something? So snatched and some scorched and some choked and some matted flat, just as the parable lays out. And yet the sower sows. Why? Because his heart cries out, what of that? What of that? Hmm. Yeah. Stanza five. Of all his scattered plenteousness, one fourth waves ripe on hill and flat and bears a harvest hundredfold. Ah, what of that, Lord? What of that? Beautiful. Yeah, he flips it. I, I love the, I mean, we don't usually do mathematics in church, but I love how he does mm -hmm. this this little wordplay where he goes from one-fourth, meaning, you know, if you want to split it up into quarters, right, as far yes. as where the seed is sown, uh, but that that seed bears fruit a hundredfold. You know, to to say, yes, it seems as if he's wasteful, but but it bears more fruit than you could possibly imagine. Right. And this is, I think, a key point to pastorally speaking is we do not grow up amongst a field of wheat. We grow up mm. amongst rocks and weeds and birds that seek to come and feast on us that we are a congregation militant, not a congregation triumphant, not this side of the resurrection. Mm. And therefore, we should not expect that we be surrounded by... Mm, a plenteous harvest, let's put it that way, rather. We should expect that according to our baptismal vocation and according to the promise Jesus makes to us in Matthew, mm -hmm. that we will suffer not only at the hands of the world and the devil and our own sinful selfishness, but that there will be those who, in the name of God, offering worship to God, actually kill us. I think the farmers in my community understand this pretty well because it, I mean, year to year, with, mm -hmm. with some exceptions, you're pretty much on edge between right. financial catastrophe and being Absolutely. able to make it. Right. Yeah. You 
as yeah, my I, as one of my old timers says, if you want to be a gambler, don't go to the casino. Be a farmer. Yeah, because you're at the <laughs> you're at the whims and fancies basically right. of, of the rain and sun and shine. Right. You, know, you will, the, in my experience, earth. anyways, in my personal experience, you will not find someone more devout in their faith and yet more antagonistic toward God than my farmers. Hmm. Because of that, because every year they have to depend on the Lord to provide all that is necessary for that corn and those soybeans to come in. And yet simultaneously they know something's going to happen. And so there is this, this faithful pessimism almost, or faithful <laughs> fatalism surrounding the harvest. Yeah. Which is the last stanza. Oh, what of that? What exactly. Of that? It's just... Right. We'll give, it, we'll you give look, it a go again. You we'll look at the again. seed that doesn't grow and go, so what about that? But then you look at the seed that does grow and go, well, what about that? And and God willing, um, we get to see a little a little glimpse of this right. occasionally. <laughs> right. Of that, what we will finally see face to face on the last right. day. That's the running joke here right now is it took 10 years, but now my folks here at Current the Congregation are so zealous for baptism. And mm. so zealous for the Lord's Supper and so zealous for the gospel. And yet I can't get them to buy me new curtains for my office that have been up since like 1969. And they said, well, pastor, you have taught us that it's really the third article gifts that we need to focus on and not the first article gifts. <laughs> really? That's what you're going to listen to? That's the teaching you're going to cling to? It's, <laughs> all all right. it's all right. I mean, they're right. They're, they're right. <laughs> they're hundred percent. It's just, I can't believe you're listening to that. You can look at the curtains and just say, oh, what of that? <laughs> right, exactly. What of that? <laughs> so back to the hymn, stanza six. Preach you the word and plant it home and never faint. The harvest Lord who gave the sower seed to sow will watch and tend his planted word. Mm. That is such a great end cap to the first stanza. Isn't it? Just stick with it. It's so good. Never There's faint. Right. The, the harvest lord his he's he's got this, right? Right. It reminds me this previous week. I didn't know this, maybe you did, but the tattoo uh, that that uh, people sometimes get on their knuckles that says it spells out hold fast. And I just found this by accident, but I found the origin of that. Hmm. And it is sailors used to get that tattooed on their knuckles to remind them to hold on to the rope when they were working on the ship especially when they're climbing up and down the mast, right? Rather than having to try to drum it up internally, they had a visible right on their, on their hands. And a constant yeah. reminder then to their fellows on board, hold fast, don't let go of the rope. Yeah. Because a wave could come up at any time and throw you over the edge of the side of the ship and that was it, you were done. And this is what, this never faint reminds me of that hold fast, mm -hmm. that never let go of the word, never let go of the word of God. Because Especially as, encouraging to the preacher. Yes, right? absolutely. Just keep preaching it. Just keep preaching. Just keep preaching. <laughs> you know, and, and never faint. Well, that's um, it's encouraging, but also, um, right, we do faint. I mean, we do grow sometimes tired, bored. I suppose apathetic. Bored is the word I've been using a lot lately. But not. I mean, not even just that. But like. Uh, this is a challenge, especially for those of us who do use the the one year series of readings. Mm -hmm. That, well, I preached this last year. Right. Yeah, you did, but you know, they're going to be honest about it. They weren't listening, no. and you probably weren't either all that right. well. And when you go back and and pull that up on the hard drive, at least in my case, you go, really? I thought this was good. Like, what was I thinking? This is terrible. Yeah, give it a go again. Right. <laughs> Let's try try again. Recap. Right. Shave it yeah. down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Get to the point again. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Already. But yeah. I, I think that is the that is the grace of God, the Holy Spirit, that He is gentle with us and kind, and does not reveal to us our lack when it comes to the preaching office. But also, He is the one who keeps us from fainting. He is our strength and our solid foundation. What I also like is that is that there's this implied preacher in the background, right? Preach right. the word, preach the word, and yet the preacher is never the sower. Correct. He, he doesn't mm. confuse that. You don't sow the seed. The 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 word the sower does. <laughs> We're kind of like the sack. Yeah, trying to figure out what instrument. It's kind of like we'll shepherd the flock that the Lord has entrusted you. I sure. mean, it's Paul, right? Yeah, right. It. Which I appreciate. It's a little bit better than hey, you're. Uh, let's see. In this analogy, the father's the sower and the son is the seed. So we'll make you the sack. You're the one who bears the seed. I guess, or Which maybe is, you're like that that thing that the planter, right? That that the sower uses to. 
put the seed in the ground. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. That little thing that something like that. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. Well, and so I was saying like the shepherd analogy, you know, are are you a shepherd? Well, sometimes we say under shepherd, which I guess is kind of helpful. Like that's the higher hand. It's, I've always thought that was lame. I like the sheepdog, right? I like that. Um, that the that the shepherd commands that that you know just does the work. I prefer. But, yeah, I like platoon commander or that works too. Yeah, jump buddy. As I've said before, if you want hugs in Santa Claus, I'm not your pastor. If you want someone to jump out of an airplane with you, <laughs> I'm your guy. But no, and this is the point that I think we're making too. Is driving at is that there are many analogies in Scripture for our office, and yet. The Lord calls a pastor and actually does, in spite of us, mm-hmm. leverage our personality in yeah, the office in a yeah. certain sense. And, and I, again, just speaking from experience, there are folks that have come here and we've had a conversation where they've just said, listen, we, we love this church and we have no, you know, nothing against you personally. It's just, we're just not clicking with you. And mm-hmm. I've said, yeah. you know what? I 100% understand based on yep. your personality, I'm going to I'm gonna send you down the road to a friend of mine who's a pastor up the road, this way or that way. I think he might be the right kind of pastor for what you're looking for. Yeah. Versus yeah. people who are sent to me by, by colleagues to say, hey, you know what? I just, I don't have any experience with this, but I know a guy. So I'm going to send you down the road to him. And as my well, friend says, we all play for the same team. And so stop being so covetous of people. <laughs> well, and you have to recognize that everyone has... Uh, uniqueness to them, right? Correct. And uh, but if the word is in common, right? yes, hopefully yes. The same confession, right? Then then there should be no problem with this kind of uh, fluidity amongst that confession, right? That's a good point and to listen. Yeah, very and, good point. But but the, the other aspect of that too is for the preachers, preach the word. Yes. Um, does not mean like change your personality, change who you are hmm. in order to accommodate right. yourself to the word. Right. Uh, you have to say it. I, I guess it's an overused expression, but use it with authenticity, right? You do. Well, and again, uh, as we noted, in a state of repentance. Yeah. To not get ahead of yourself and think, well, I've got the corner on the market. I'm preaching God's word. I'm good. <laughs> You're I'm the only one around. Yeah. 100% guilty of that sin. And yeah. especially in the past when I first got in the congregation and I thought I was, you know, something. And one, the Lord used my congregation to change me. Mm-hmm. And second, used his word to change me, and this, and use the world and the devil to change me. This is yeah. the point: is that if you don't want to be humble, you will be humbled. What I, what I'm struck by is maybe with Franzman, he experienced this too a little bit because the first things that that we know from him were actually translations of uh, older texts. So with high Correct. delight, let us unite. Mm-hmm. Um, but even older than that, he did the. He did the Isaiah Mighty Seer, the translation mm, from Luther sure. that was in That's that right, was, yeah. That was in the Lutheran hymnal, 1941, so very early. Right. And also another hymn in Lutheran hymnal as well. But that translation, Isaiah Mighty Seer. But by the time these hymns, which are coming, the ones in the LSB are primarily from 70s, 80s. Right. Um, 60s, 70s, 80s. You look at these, it seems like these are his voice. I mean, he's not faking it. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. He, this is this is his poetry. Mm-hmm. He's he's speaking the way that that he would speak. Um. And th- there's like a, it's obvious when I mean, when you hear a Franzman hymn, it's a Franzman hymn. Right. You know it's it. Franzman hymn. You don't even have to look at the bottom. Yes. And uh, and preachers, I I think what we're getting at is the preachers should do the same. Is is you mm-hmm. preach you preach with your voice because that's the voice yeah, you're right. given. Yeah. And and you and I have gone through this over the years. Uh, many pastors do this. You adapt the voice of your spiritual influences your spiritual fathers mm-hmm. for me it was norman nagel mm-hmm. uh, and and others but and then but at a certain point you got to grow up <laughs> and you got to stand on your own two feet and you've got to find your own voice as a preacher mm-hmm. and it's hard it's difficult and yet because at the same time you take from everyone let's say who influences mm-hmm. you and yet you still have to say the voice of scripture must predominate all of these voices, even my own, it must predominate. And if it does not, then what exactly am I about here? Is this prideful prophet that I'm chasing? Mm. What yeah, is, some what agenda, is some priority, right. whatever it is. Right. There's in my again, in my experience, speaking anecdotally and, and just in my experience with friends of mine who have been in the ministry longer than I have, there's no pastor who's more unhappy who struggles against God's word. Mm. Or 
maybe even more go a step deeper, pastors who struggle with faith questions in the pulpit, personal faith questions in the pulpit. Ooh, yeah. It, it comes out kind of jangy, kind of jangly, mm-hmm. where it is God's word, but there's a whole bunch of crisscrossing patterns as they try and search for an answer to a faith question that they struggle with in private. And there is that a little bit of that kind of character in this hymn, mm-hmm. but but not in a Martin Franzman only kind of way, right? But yes. it, it's it's a common, it's going to be a common complaint or or, right. or lament from every pastor that we're preaching and it seems like nothing's nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. That's right? correct. We, we all share that. That's not right. the, the prophets had that. <laughs> the apostles had right. that. They all saw it. We've right. all seen it. And um, so that's that's not specific Martin no, Franzman. That's no. that's everybody. Right. Yeah. And the point being is that most of the growth of these seeds takes place under the ground where you can't see it. Mm-hmm. And then once this once that shoot sprouts up out of the dirt, you still don't have any control over it. And if you're gonna apply another parable, you really don't know which one's wheat and which one's tear. That's either. correct. Right. So yeah. it may even look like growth and it actually is deceiving that way too. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Mm. You mm. see this in the garden in the spring when my kids try and pull weeds and they have volunteer <laughs> plants. No, honey, that's a green onion. Right. Yeah. There are lots of vegetables that end up on the sideline with the weeds. Mm-hmm. Too bad. It, yep, it happens. Mm-hmm. But that is the end of Franzman's hymn, Preach You the Word, 586 in the Lutheran Service Book. And because it's an English version of a hymn, there are no uh, excerpted stanzas, nothing left out. Mm-mm, no. That's it. Well, it's... you can't do it because uh, the other aspect of that is it's um, governed by copyright. <laughs> there, there we go. That, so so the, the final Martin arbiter. Franzman family estate says, yes. uh, no, you have That's to right. all the stanzas. <laughs> there, there are no lost stanzas out there somewhere running loose. Yeah. I would, I would uh, suggest, uh, I have to find my copy of this, um, Richard Brinkley is actually an acquaintance of mine. Oh, actually, his, uh, his son was a... Uh, son-in-law, I should say, was one of my uh, sweet mates in college. But hmm. regardless of that, he wrote a biography. It came out in 93, Thy Strong Word, The Enduring Legacy of Martin Franzman. Nice. Then the next year, Robin Lever, uh, yes. Englishman, yep. uh, has a a book about the, the original and translated hymns, Come to the Feast, also, uh, uh, yeah, available still. So I'll link to those. Good. It's a great way to kind of dig into them. And look at his preaching book, Ha Ha mm-hmm. Among the Trumpets, you know, talking right. about preaching there. So to kind of bring it to a conclusion too, we, we talk often in higher things about what makes a great hymn, a good hymn, and a bad hymn. And in spite of the fact that Christ for you, for the forgiveness of sins, doesn't literally show up in this hymn, this is still a great hymn in the sense of mm. it is so closely connected to God's word in the gospel, the parable of the sower and the seed, that I think that for myself anyways, in my opinion, that what makes a great hymn then is also how closely to scripture does it cling and where does it deviate or depart from scripture? And here, it's pretty close to what Jesus says in the parable. And bringing, like we said, bringing in some other uh, other texts that have similar themes. Right? Correct. Yeah. So his exegesis, if you want to use that, his interpretation right. of scripture, it's scripture interprets scripture. Right. So he has here in the lower right hand corner, Luke 8, 4 through 15, obviously. But mm-hmm. then also 1 Peter 1, 24 through 25, 1 Timothy 4, verses 15 and 16, and 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 10. Yeah. So as we've done in my congregation, I strongly encourage you who are listeners, if you're interested in this kind of thing, you can do Bible studies on these hymns. And this yeah. is how you do it. Look in the lower right-hand corner, and with the hymn in front of you, go to those Bible texts and ask yourself the question, how faithful to the Scripture is this hymn? Where does it deviate from the Scripture? And is it something that we have to say, this is just a bad hymn. It deviates too far from Scripture. It goes too far. It says things that the Scripture itself doesn't say. Whereas right. here, this is, a, this is a pretty great example, I think, of how to write a scriptural hymn. Well, and because it's clinging to the parable, I mean, it's speaking in terms of the parable. I mean, like with any parable, you know, do we have eyes to, to hear, right? Yes, <laughs> As yes. Jesus would say. Yes. And when we hear about, about the word being rejected, mm-hmm. you know, the word that is scattered, you know, upon the, on the path, I mean, we know what that, what, what he's getting at there. <laughs> yes, right. We hear, we hear, oh, yes, 
you know, Jesus died for the sins of the world and people refuse to see it. They see it as a right. scandal or as a stumbling block. It's, it, there's others, there's ways to take the text then of this hymn, mm -hmm. which is a great hymn, and see the cross un underneath the whole thing right. or behind the whole thing. And the ultimate comfort is in the last stanza that the father is the one who watches and tends his planted word. Mm -hmm. It's out of our hands. And that is for us a great comfort. It's even Jesus says that in the garden, right? Yes. Not my will, but your will be done. Exactly. Yeah. This is in your hands. There you, we go. You do what you've what you've set set me to do from the beginning. Fantastic. Mm. Do you have anything else to add? No, that's excellent. Before Thanks. we depart. Well, thank you again as always. We truly appreciate everything you do to support this podcast and all of the feedback that we've gotten for these hymn podcasts has been much, much appreciated. Thank you. And mm -hmm. we will continue to do maybe a couple more of these hymn podcasts. So? We enjoy them all too. Right. I, I learn a lot. I, I learn a lot myself from these. And this is uh, the conversation that you and I have. It allows us to dig into stuff that normally I don't really dig into that deeply because I've got other stuff on my plate. Right. Like a Sunday morning Bible class, you're not going to do a hymn study generally because you're going to do Bible class. Right. Mm -hmm. I generally do these types of things in the summer, for example. We'll do like yeah. a, an art study, art that confesses sure. the faith or hymnody that confesses the faith. So maybe this summer after I get back from sabbatical, cha-ching, I will uh, dive into this. That'll be fun. But uh, yeah, I highly, highly encourage everyone to, to try this out, to use hymns, great hymns, great Lutheran hymns as devotional material. If you don't yeah. already. Because yeah. even someone like me who can't carry a tune in a bucket in private can enjoy singing and meditating on these hymns. So as always, thank Wonderful. you. We love you. And come back next week for a brand new episode. Peace. Peace.